Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong at the time? And so you tried to hide it from others, and you tried to run from the natural consequences of, of what you had done. I think if all of us were honest this morning, then we would probably all have to answer yes to, to that question. I can remember, I have vague memories of taking a little toy animal out of one of the toy buckets in my kindergarten classroom and sort of looking around to see if anyone was watching and then taking that toy and putting it in my pocket because I thought I might like to have it for myself at home. From a human standpoint, I got away with it as far as I know, but from a spiritual standpoint, I was busted because the God that we serve knows all that we do. He knows every wrong that we've ever done before we have ever done it. In fact, the Bible teaches that he knows every thought that we have before we even think them. And his word tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, we're we're warned, we're cautioned, we're told, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so these words from God's word remind us that whoever sows to reap according to the sinful nature, according to the flesh, according to the self, reaps death and destruction, the due penalty of sin. But on the contrary, whoever sows to to reap the spirit and the things of the spirit, being convicted of sin and turning to Jesus Christ for salvation, reaps eternal life. Whatever you sow in this life, you will reap for eternal life. But this is not only true on a a grand scale uh, when it comes to our salvation, but it's also true for believers uh, day to day as we seek to walk with the Lord who has called us to faith in Him. Whatever we sow in this life, we will reap in this life. God desires to lead us and to guide us and to convict us by His Spirit, exposing our sin that we might walk faithfully with Him. His grace is not only evident in our salvation, but His grace is also evident as He convicts us and leads us and draws us and corrects us, disciplining us and rebuking us that we might be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And this is a truth that we see in God's Word this morning as we enter into the life of Jacob once again. And we'll learn from God's word that, that God works in the lives of his people, guiding their way and exposing their error. God works in the lives of his people by guiding their way and exposing their error. When he exposes our error, when he reveals our sin, he doesn't always expose it to everyone else, but by his spirit, he exposes it to us by convicting us of sin, by revealing the error, sin, disobedience in our own lives. And He doesn't do this for us as believers in order to condemn us. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but He does it to correct us, to lead us back into the path of following after Him and living for Him. So let me encourage you to join me in God's word as we see this truth unfold in the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 29. And as you're turning 
to Genesis chapter 29. I want to take a moment to bring us up to speed for the context of, of this story that we're about to read. And you'll remember that Jacob has been on the run, been running for his life. He's been sent away from his homeland. He's been sent away from his family in order to go to Haran, the distant place of Haran, hundreds of miles away to visit his uncle Laban. And he's been sent away by his parents for two reasons. Number one, he's been sent away in order to protect him, for his brother Esau is out to kill him. And he's also been sent away in order to find a wife. And while on this journey, we saw last week in Genesis chapter 28 that God revealed himself to Jacob in a dream. And he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you wherever you go. I'm going to be your God and you will follow after me. And the promises that I gave to your grandfather Abraham and your father Isaac of, of this land and many descendants and, and all the nations being blessed through your descendants, he applied those directly to Jacob. So Jacob renews his worship of God and commits his life to following the God of the Bible. And this is where we pick up the story today in Genesis chapter 29. So let me invite you to stand with me for the reading of of God's word, beginning in Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. And there God's word reads this way. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. And there he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. Verse 8, We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came, from, came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news and About Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we come to this portion of this story, opening verses of Genesis chapter 29, it's as if there's a new spring in Jacob's step. Things are going well. He had deceived his father and he was running from his brother who wanted to, to take his, his life. But now the Lord's hand and provision and direction are clearly evident in his life. He embarks on this long journey and we don't have much information about the events of this journey. This would have been a journey that would have taken a number of days. The only thing that we're told is about the dream in chapter 28, that God showed up 
So I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you. Jacob responds with worship and commitment. Then all of a sudden, next thing we know, he's there. He's arrived. Verse 1. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land. He set out to, to find his uncle Laban. And he, he has now found Laban. God is clearly guiding his step. Providing for him. Protecting him. Leading him to this destination. Jacob is feeling good. He's feeling confident that the Lord is with him. That the Lord has blessed him. The Lord will continue to guide him and to protect him. And those that are confident that God is at work in their lives are inspired to serve others. That's what we see here from the life of Jacob. That those that are confident that God is at work in their lives are inspired to serve others. Those that know that God is with them and working in them and through them are led to a greater service, Christian service, to other people. And this is certainly true in the life of Of Jacob here. For the Lord has blessed him. And Jacob knew that God had blessed him. Jacob knew that God was with him. And and working in his life. He comes to this this well. and Just outside of Haran. Where he is set out to, to meet his uncle Laban. By his mother and father's directions. He's here at this well. He comes across some shepherds and he asks them, do you know Laban? They said, we do. And he's, he's doing well. And then all of a sudden, what do you know? Here comes his daughter. Here comes Rachel, Laban's daughter, to that well to water her sheep. Now the author is emphasizing here the size of this stone that is covering the well. Twice it's emphasized in these opening verses. Verse 2, the stone over the mouth of the well was large. And then we see it again in verse 8 and following with the dialogue between Jacob and and these shepherds. So Jacob, all of a sudden, this homebody and mama's boy has become an expert in livestock. And he tells them, hey, it's still the heat of the day. Why are we all sitting around? Water the sheep and send them back out to feed some more. And their response is, we can't. Certainly, he, he wants to, to water his relative's sheep. Here comes Rachel with his sheep. Come on, guys, water the sheep. They say, we can't. And essentially, he says, well, if... If you won't, then I will. Now, we don't know. We, we know the size of this stone is emphasized here. So we don't know if they were, were waiting out of laziness until many flocks were gathered and shepherds could work together or out of necessity. But somehow, in some way, through an incredible display of strength, Jacob takes on the responsibility and removes this stone so the sheep can, can be watered. And after this, there's this moment between Jacob and, and Rachel weeping and kissing as they've come together and meet each other. Probably a, a, an act of families coming together. And Rachel goes and tells her, her father. And Laban invites Jacob in and welcomes him as part of the family. God was clearly at work in Jacob's life, guiding his way, protecting him, leading him, providentially leading him to this household. And the truth for us this morning is that for people of faith in the God of Scripture, for believers in this God, for the church, God is also actively involved in our lives as well. He is with us and He goes with us and He desires to guide us. He's at work in our lives. And the psalmist reminds us of this in Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. 
The Lord directs the steps, makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. And so as people of faith who who are directed and guided by the same God that led and guided Jacob in Genesis chapter 29, we ought to be looking for God's hand in our own lives. When you reflect on your life, look for God's hand in, in your life. How is God guiding you? How is He providing for you? How is He protecting you? What has He blessed you with? Certainly He often guides us by meeting our needs, by giving us family and income, taking care of our needs, providing healing when we're broken, forgiveness for our sins, wisdom to make Decisions and comfort in difficult circumstances. God is actively involved in our lives as His people. So we have to look for His hand in our lives. And when we recognize that He is at work in our lives, we have to let our confidence in Him guide our steps. Let your confidence in the Lord guide your steps. Let your confidence in who He is, not in who you are or who, who we are. Let your confidence in the Lord, the God who is with you and actively involved in your life, let that confidence guide your steps day by day as you seek to, to follow Him. For God was clearly actively involved in the life of Jacob, and He is also actively involved in our lives. And so as we come to circumstances and decisions, and difficult situations as, as we've all been in, let's lean on the Lord. Let's Express trust and confidence in Him to, to direct our, our past. When, when has there been a time in your life when you faced a difficult circumstance or situation and you exercised trust in the Lord, confidence in the Lord to guide your steps, to direct your path? Maybe in a relationship that you knew was not pleasing to the Lord, so you trusted the Lord's direction to to distance yourself from that relationship, perhaps through a career change, stepping out of one career and into another at what you sensed was the prompting of of the Lord, maybe stepping into or out of a a leadership role at the Lord's direction, perhaps involvement in a a mission opportunity or a mission trip as as the Lord directed you and, and guided you. Perhaps in sharing your faith with an unbeliever or maybe inviting unbelieving neighbors into your home and an effort to get to know them and to share the truth with them in Christian love. When have you exercised confidence in the Lord to guide your steps? Those that are confident that God is at work in their lives are inspired to serve others and to serve others in His name. For God works in the lives of His people by guiding their way and by exposing their error. We see here in these opening verses of Genesis chapter 29 that God was working to guide the path of Jacob. And in the verses that follow in the rest of the story, we see that God was also working behind the scenes to expose the error of of his way. So join me back in Genesis chapter 29 as we pick up the story in the second half of verse 14. There in God's word, Genesis chapter 29, verse 14, we read these words. After Jacob had stayed with him, that is Laban, for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. 
Jacob was in, in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to, to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. So, so far in this story, what's a sweet, sappy love story. Jacob is in love with, with Rachel. He says, I'll work for you for seven years to have Rachel as, as my wife. And author here goes to link to say that this time seemed like just a few days to him because of his love for her. It just flew by. And then all of a sudden we get to verse 21. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to take her as my wife. Now that's the, the Sunday morning Jones paraphrase there. If you want to know why, then you can read it in, in your Bible and look around and you will probably come to the same conclusion. Verse 22, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob took her as his wife. Paraphrase number 2, verse 24. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. And when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Verse 28, Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob took Rachel as his wife, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now this is where this story, this drama gets Really good, really fascinating. As Jacob gets a dose of his own medicine, the deceiver, the one who deceived his father in order to to cheat his brother out of the blessing, is now the deceived. His eyes are beginning to be opened up through this story and the providential hand of God of revealing his sin to him. Through his discipline, God makes his people aware of their sins. That's what's taking place here in the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 29. Through his discipline, God's discipline, God is making Jacob aware of his own sin, his own unconfessed sin in his life. Imagine the the impact the words of verses 25 and 26 must have had on Jacob as as he had this conversation, this question and answer with his uncle Laban. Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah... So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replies, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Same word as firstborn. It's not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. And in these things, this language of firstborn and deception and serving had to recall the events of chapters 27 in, in Jacob's own life as these words must have pierced his own heart as he realized the depth of his own sin and the way that God was working through these circumstances ultimately to expose his error to him. Years after the fact. And as a result of 
of these circumstances and the way that this played out, family drama, the family fighting, the family feuding would continue for years and decades to follow as these marriages would be characterized by favoritism, just as Jacob and Esau's upbringing had also been characterized by favoritism at the hands of the father and mother. Sort of reminds us of another story in the Old Testament, the story of King David. The adulterous and murderous King David is confronted by the prophet Nathan, and Nathan tells a story, a parable about a rich man who took advantage of a poor man. And David is outraged. He said, that guy's got to be punished not realizing that the story was about David's own actions, about what he had done, Uriah and Bathsheba. The same course of action here by Jacob. When he's deceived by his uncle Laban, he's quick to point out the error of Laban's ways without ever realizing and admitting to and confessing the error of his own ways in deceiving others. Church, how quick we can be to point out the sin of other people and And fail to recognize the sin in our own lives. How much easier it is for us to see the the issues and the troubles and the disobedience of other people. And often fail to realize what is taking place right before us in our own hearts and our own minds and in our own lives. And Jesus knew this. This led Jesus to say these words in Matthew chapter 7 verses 3 through 5. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Church, through his discipline, God convicts, opens our eyes, exposes our hearts and our minds to the reality of our own sin. And as he does, as his people, let's be quick to confess our sin before him. Confess unresolved sin. Confess unresolved sin. For no doubt, that was, that was the purpose of what took place here in Jacob's life. Exposing the error of his own ways so ultimately he would confess his sin before God and further lean on and trust in God as, as his Lord. The Bible is clear to to tell us that if anyone thinks he is without sin, he deceives himself and the truth of God is not in him. 1 John 1, verse 8 goes on to say, But if we confess our sin, he, meaning God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from, from all unrighteousness. We can be so quick to point the finger at the sins of others. It's easy to sort of stand back and point the finger at those that are on the wrong side of the marriage debate or on the wrong side of the planned parenthood debacle. Or it's easy sometimes to point the finger at the pregnant teenager or the man who appears to just be lazy, not wanting to earn his his wages for his livelihood. But We must examine our own hearts continually coming before God and confessing sin to Him for we all have blind spots and we are are all sinners. There's no one righteous according to God's Word. No one, no not one. God works in the lives of His people by guiding their ways and by exposing their errors. So as God exposes His errors, our errors, not His errors, our errors to us, 
Let's be quick to confess our sin before him, knowing that he is gracious and he is faithful and he, he is just and he welcomes us back into a good and right relationship with him. And as he does, as God exposes our sin to us, and as we respond with confession, let's learn from the Lord's discipline. Let's learn from the Lord's discipline in our own lives. It's easy for us sometimes to, to look at our circumstances or perhaps the people that we are called to, to work with and to relate to, lament the difficulty of people and circumstances, but before we're too quick to point the finger at others, we might ought to ask, well, what is God teaching me about myself through these relationships or this circumstance? Is he exposing things about me, sin in my own life, errors of my own ways through other people that I'm called to put up with and to deal with, to walk with and to learn from ultimately as followers of Jesus Christ? As God disciplines us, we're encouraged through his word and how we're to respond to him as he corrects us by Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. There we read, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Just as a a father disciplines his children in order to correct their way out of love for them. Our heavenly father disciplines us as his children out of love for us and to correct our our errors ultimately in order to, to guide us walking the path that he has before us. So as his people, let's confess unresolved sin. Let's learn from the Lord's discipline. And thirdly, let's thank God for his discipline, for it is far, far better than his judgment. Thank God for his discipline, for it is far better than his judgment. I know that's the final blank in our message this morning, but bear with me just for a couple moments. For God's judgment is final, but his discipline is temporary. There's a vast difference between those things. And for people of faith, those who have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation, the Bible teaches very clearly that the judgment of God that we deserve because of our sin against God has already been taken care of through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ on the cross. The one and only Son gave His life for you and for me and for whosoever will believe so that we will not experience the the judgment of the one almighty holy God. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Died in our place so that we could be saved by by His grace. Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, but He didn't stay on the cross. He was buried, placed in a tomb. And just like the stone that's Spoken of in Genesis chapter 29 that was placed over the well, there was a large stone placed over his tomb in order to serve a similar purpose, to guard something that was important. But just as Jacob displayed incredible strength in removing that stone in Genesis chapter 29, there was one who was at the tomb for whom this stone posed no problem, no threat, no No issue. He is the everlasting Father. And He displayed His eternal power by raising Jesus from the dead. Ultimately, that whosoever would believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Has Jesus taken the judgment for you? 
How has your status before God, your account before God been, been impacted? For, for you will reap what you sow. Have you tasted of the water, not of the water of the well in Genesis chapter 29, or the water of the well in John chapter 4 where Jesus met a Samaritan woman, but have you tasted of the living water that has been provided for you and for me and whosoever will come, the water of Jesus Christ, the water that satisfies for this life and for all of eternity in a way that nothing else can. For nothing else can satisfy your longing for God as Jesus Christ can and will. Come to the water. Come to the water of Jesus Christ. Come to that well and drink today and forevermore, inviting God to guide your way and to expose your error for now and for all of eternity. Father, we thank you that you are involved in the lives of your people. Father, we thank you that that in your great and grand and eternal plan of redemption, you provided a way that we might be forgiven of sin, that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, that we might live forever with the joy and satisfaction of knowing that we are yours. Father, we thank you for the stories of your word that point to the great story of the cross. Father, we invite you to to lead us today and every day as your people, that we might walk faithfully with you, that we might be guided by you, that we might recognize your leadership, that we might respond to your conviction, or that we might live by your grace for your glory. Lead us now as we respond to the truths of your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.